Welcome in, welcome into Face to Face Sports, coming at you live from the Glothlin Center for the Arts on Emory and Henry's campus. This is WEHC 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Jordan Dove, and I'm proud to bring you this now 10th edition of Face to Face Sports. This show discusses all of the latest sports news, both nationally and locally. As many of you listeners know, these past couple weeks we've had some special editions. We've had, gotten to interview a couple of members of the sports staff here on Emory and Henry's campus. And so I thought for today's now 10th edition, um, I would welcome in uh, former Emory & Henry women's basketball coach Joy Scruggs. She is a Hall of Famer here at Emory & Henry, and she, as she spent 28 seasons coaching the team from 1981 to 2009. Her teams won 384 games and 22 ODAC tournament games. She also guided Emory & Henry to the 1988 ODAC championship. She's also won Coach of the Year three times, 1984, 2002, and 2003. And as I mentioned, she is in the Hall of Fame here at Emory & Henry. So without further Further ado, welcome into Face to Face Sports, Coach Scruggs. How are you doing? I'm great. How uh, How are you today, Jordan? I'm doing very well. I I want to thank you uh, for taking the time to do this and um, for coming on the show today. Well, thank thank you for asking me. Absolutely. And um, so I understand you uh, you're still you're still very much a part of the uh, uh, the Emory and Henry campus. You obviously you coach, and we're going to talk about that for a little bit, but. Um, what's going on now? You're you're doing some some commentary for the basketball team. That's right. Uh, well, you know we had uh, we had a COVID year where nobody could go, so uh, the only way anybody knew anything about basketball, of course, they had an abbreviated season that year as well. Um, and so um, I had been doing some play by play. One of my last years. Uh, before I retired, Ann Crutchfield, who was the women's, uh, oh, who is the athletic director now, I started to say women's basketball coach, asked me if there's anything I wanted to do before I retired. And I had been doing some uh, commentary for basketball, and I said, I want to do all the women's basketball games. So that year I did all the women's games, and then um, the students who had been working uh, were all gone at some point. And so um, I became the play-by-play for men's and women's basketball and did that during the COVID abbreviated year and did it again last year. So it's really great fun to be involved with, uh, still be involved with uh, Emory and Henry athletics, but especially uh, for basketball. Now, when you're announcing games, are you still kind of uh, coaching in your mind? Are you sitting there seeing the mistakes and seeing the things you could possibly fix if you were out there? Well, there's no telling what I say, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, once I quit coaching, I kind of quit coaching. I, I don't necessarily, although uh, Coach Dickens, the women's basketball coach, will tell you, Jacqueline Dickens will tell you that I'll say, I'll say things kind of for the benefit because the team, for the benefit of the players because and, and to support her because the, I know for women's basketball, when they watch film, Sometimes they'll listen to the audio that goes with it, which is me doing the play-by-play, and I'll say things like, and once again, nobody went to the offensive boards. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that may be, uh, that that's an observation, but it may be kind of a, trying to help the coaches a little bit, give it a, somebody else's voice saying the same things I know they're saying. Yeah, and I, I really don't think there's anyone better doing the commentary than coaches because they can really... Uh, break down play for play, you know, what they see and, 
you know, it's all based on the experience they've had in the past. So I'm I'm sure you're very knowledgeable when it comes to, you know, the technicalities of the game. Certainly, certainly. One could hope. I can hope that I can offer something, but I'm not so I wouldn't be certain about it. <laughs> <laughs> so um Let's let's kind of go back uh, to the beginning for a little bit. For people who don't know, you hail originally from Cleveland, Tennessee. Is that correct? Well, I grew up in Chattanooga, and then we moved to Cleveland, which is you know thirty minutes away uh, during my high school days. So yeah. So you played you played high school in Cleveland, and uh, you no, were good I enough to, to. I'm sorry. I did not. I did not play high school basketball. Oh, you didn't. No, we did not. This is, you know, your Title IX education. Oh, you know, right. Free of charge today, but in, in Chattanooga, there were no g- girls' sports. And when I moved to Cleveland, I was a junior, and I tried out for basketball and didn't make it. And so, you know, I messed around and played pickup games and did stuff like that. But um, I didn't play on a basketball team until I played for the University of Tennessee. Okay, and that's and that's what I was going to ask you about. So... Now, with that being said, how were you able to um, get on the the basketball team at at Tennessee? Well, in that day and time, the NCAA did not. This was 1971 when I went to Tennessee as a freshman. The NCAA didn't do women's sports. They didn't start including women's sports until 1981. That was, you know, one of the changes. You know, there's so much being said these days about Title IX because it's the 50-year anniversary, but... Um, NCAA did not sanction or sponsor or whatever you want to call it any women's sports. Women's athletics college level had their own association called the Association for Intercollegiate Athletics. No, wait, AIAW, Association for Intercollegiate Athletics for Women. Yeah. So, um, and they had some rules to try to keep some of this perceived evils of men's athletics out of women's athletics. And one of those was uh, that you couldn't recruit. So uh, there were tryouts. And, you know, over 100 women would try out for basketball. But um, I learned about tryouts, and um, I've told this story a number of times before. Um, The coach before Pat Summit was Margaret Hudson, and I passed her in the hallway with some um, classmates of mine, and she asked if we were going to try out for basketball, and people kind of mumbled maybe or, you know, whatever. And I said, well, I was probably too small. And she said, well, I don't know. Sometimes the smallest ones are the best ones. And I tried out and made it. So there you go. You never know what little thing you say to somebody might change the whole direction of their life. And what she said to me certainly changed the direction of mine. How how memorable were those years at in Tennessee, and what was uh, Coach Summit's well, influence on you? Well, I don't know. Uh, it, it, the whole experience of playing basketball was memorable. Um, all I played for Pat Summit my senior year, um, and I and I knew at the time I was learning a lot about myself, a lot about life, a, a lot about basketball. You know, and as much as you can know as a you know twenty year old. Um, but given perspective and looking back, you know, you, you those things you learn at, at an age like that are, are certainly, as you say, impressionable. What would you say Coach Summit's influence is on you? I, I missed part of that. I was, so I, was at, I was asking, would you say Coach Summit had a, had a big influence on you, and if so, why? 
Um, I don't. I don't know that she influenced me any more than Margaret Hudson did. You know, both of them were my college coaches. Um, Pat certainly was a dominant leader, a very, um, you know, uh, determined. I mean, people always talk about her focus or whatever. I think of Pat um, as someone who was an achiever. Um, She got things done, and, um, you know, that – that certainly was an example um, that her example um, of ha- how to be a leader and how she led were, um, you know, were clear, were clear examples. Did you always know you wanted to coach? I did not because basic, I mean, you know, if, if you mean by always know, like, you know, when you're three and you want to be a firefighter <laughs> and guess what? You become a firefighter. Uh, no, I did not know that. And, and probably because of Title IX. I, I, there were no girls' athletic experiences associated with my school growing up. We had summer league softball, which was really church league softball. And we had, there was a big um, citywide um, swim league in the summer and those are the two things you could do as a girl so you know knowing I could be a coach wasn't something I certainly had any idea I, I didn't even know a girl could be an athlete much less could be a coach mm-hmm. what, um, what about while you were playing at uh, Tennessee yeah, when, I, when I went to college it was early on in college I decided I wanted to be I mean I was majoring in physical education I wanted to be a physical education teacher early on I decided I wanted to to be a physical education teacher in college. And not long after that, I think I decided, and I want to coach basketball. I, I understand. So right after Tennessee, you went to uh, a Chattanooga girls prep school, and that was your first time uh, coaching? Uh, some of that broke up, but I'm guessing you said girls preparatory school. It, that's over there I'm in Chattanooga? Right, yeah. I mm-hmm. finished my master's degree, and I had no... Um, thought that I would not be a college, you know, professor and coach. That that was the direction I wanted. But uh, Girls Preparatory School in Chattanooga, which is a private day school for girls, um, was beginning their basketball program. They hadn't had one in, you know, quite some time. And uh, they wanted someone with some five-on-five full-court basketball experience. Back then, Tennessee girls – high school played a a half court game Um, and so they called uh, Tennessee and talked to one of my professors who was my uh, graduate school advisor and uh, could she recommend someone so she recommended me and I went for an interview and got offered the job so I took it Um, and that's how I got to that you know coaching and at the secondary um, high school level, um, but after four years there, you know, I wanted to move to the collegiate level. And so, you you came to Emory in 1981, I believe. How did that job come about? How, how did that job come about? Well, Margaret Hudson, who had been my coach at Tennessee before Pat Summit, had left Tennessee, gone to get her doctorate at Ole Miss, and then landed a job at Emory and Henry. Uh, interesting side note: when she was interviewed at Emory and Henry, they asked her if she would coach, and she said, 
after being the coach at Tennessee, she said she would coach anything but basketball. Uh, just more stress than she uh, wanted to put herself under, I guess. And so she became the volleyball coach at Emory and Henry. And I had known her, of course, um, since my freshman year at Tennessee. And so when I started looking for uh, college teaching and coaching jobs, um, I searched pretty high and low. I went for an interview and got offered a job at University of Wisconsin in La Crosse and uh, another job in Virginia. But I had an inside track at Emory and Henry, knowing that the coaching job was be- going to become a- was going to come open. And so I applied before they knew- before the coach had resigned, and um, managed to uh, get the job there. So. In your in your early years at Emory, when you first began coaching, what were some of the things you learned down the line uh, that you wish you had known then? Oh, some things you learned down the line. Oh gosh, everything. You learn you learn everything. Um, all the things you thought you would never do as a coach, you probably do all those in the first. You know, make all those mistakes. It doesn't take very long to make all the mistakes you swore you'd never. You know, you'd never want to make when you were coaching. Um, yeah, you learn a lot of things, I, I think. Uh, mostly, I think every year I learned more about myself than I learned about anything. Um, yeah. You had you had some success early. You won the Coach of the Year Award in 1984, uh, which was your third season at Emory. What was that feeling like to win that award so early in, in your career here? Well, you know, I was so young, I didn't. I probably didn't know any better. Um, I, you know, I used to say about coach of the year, it's nice, but nobody gets coach of the year because the other, the other coaches who vote on it, like, you know, her out of bounds plays are great. She should get coach of the year. They, you get coach of the year because of the team you have. Um, and so that to me is what, um, was exciting about that recognition was that it really was a recognition for the team that we had. Um, and for the things that, that they were doing. Um, so it was nice to get it early, but it was nice because, like I said, it's, it, it's, to me it's a recognition for the team and, and what they're doing together. Yeah, let's, let's go a few years after that. 1988, the team won 18-7, and seven, captured the ODAC title. What made that team so, so special, do you think? Um, well, you can, if you, you know, you dive into the records and the statistics, you'll see the, the level of players we had. Ann Wright Crutchfield, who's the athletic director at Emory and Henry now, was, became our school's all-time leading scorer, bunch of school records, um, Four t- first player in the history of the ODAC to be all ODAC for four consecutive years. Um, she played with a teammate in her class, Cindy Burkett, who also scored a thousand points. She played with Shelly Greenman as a point guard, who is an assistant at Clemson. Uh, Tamsin Klein uh, Burke, who was um, a Division One athlete who uh, came to our area. Uh, her junior year and played volleyball and basketball. She'd been a division one track athlete. Um, Laurel Polly, uh, another great point guard and uh, 
just the level of talent we had, but what made us a championship-level team was how those players maximized each other. Um, Any one of them could have been on a team where they scored, you know, averaged 18 points a game or, you know, whatever. But because they were with each other and accepted their strengths um, how much stronger they were because they were together is really – and good leadership, I think, is what made them uh, a championship-level team. Uh, Coach, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your, your coaching style and philosophy and how that evolved over your career. Um, coaching philosophy. This is one of these questions you're you're always thinking. Oh no, they might ask me this in an <laughs> right. interview. What am I gonna What am I gonna say? Well, I think some of what I just said describing that 1988 championship team is part of my philosophy. That it it's really about what you do for each other. You know, the things that you do for other people is what's important. Um, I always told our teams there were two two jobs that everybody on the team had. One was work hard, and the other one was to encourage each other, to do things for each other. Um, you know, I felt like what we what our strength was as a program was how we could um, take some individuals. And I felt like my job was to make to make an environment where the team where the players could build a team, you know, have that expectation that you are going to support each other, that you are going to be positive, that we are going to, um, you know, like I've described before, try to maximize each other. Um, and that that's going to be um, what the expectation is. So I guess that would probably be as close to anything as what might have been my coaching philosophy that really was about team. Uh, many times I felt like we didn't, I mean, we had some really talented players and I was fortunate to, you know, have coached teams with really strong players, but I always felt like our advantage was not that we had um, the, the strongest player, even though we might, but that we had the best team that we work the best together. And and you talk about talk about work and team and what was a I mean you coached here for 28 years what was a typical practice week like for you what was your schedule? Yeah, back in my day we played 3 games a week. Right. Um, you know, so now the schedule is spread out a little bit more so you play a lot more over breaks and that sort of thing so you don't play more than usually 2 games a week. So I mean, we hardly ever had time. We hardly ever had a time we could lift weights because you you just finished playing or you were going to play the next day. You know, there was never a day where you could lift weights and have a day off before you played. Um, so you you know you'd have and and you'd have a day off every week. And you, if you played three games, well, it didn't leave much. You you might have a practice a week where you weren't doing game prep. But, you know, most of the time, that's what was going on in practice was getting prepared for your next opponent. Yeah, and that, that's actually something I was telling uh, Coach Thompson a few weeks ago is is the the basketball schedule is not as set in stone as, say, a football schedule. Football, 
schedule or a football week, you're playing one game a week, and you get the whole yeah. week after that to prepare. And basketball, you might have three, four games during the week. You might be on the road. You might be going to a tournament. So it can get kind of uh, hectic, I'm sure. It's the most demanding sport I think there is. I mean, I don't, I don't understand enough about all the other sports and and their prep, but you know, in the day when we were playing three games a week, after we played a game, I ha- I needed to watch that game film and the game film of our next opponent, and you're doing that three times a week. You know, like you said, football, you, you, and you're almost always playing on the same day. You know, right. so they're always playing Saturday, you know, so, you know, they have a set in stone, like you're right, you know, Mondays are, you know, Sundays are off day, we watch film, <clears throat> Monday's a light day, Tuesday we do this, Friday we do walkthrough, you know, it's always the same thing with basketball, it, it, it was crazy the amount of time you had to put into, you know, game prep as a coach. Exactly. It's it's it just seems like a, a hectic schedule to me. But I mean, with time and experience, I'm sure you make it work. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about your your players again. Um, before your players graduated, uh, what what specific lessons did you want them to to leave with? Well, I think kind of what we've talked about is that it's about what you do for other people. That really is. Um, what's important is, you know, what focus on somebody else, not on you. It's not about you. You know, what can you do for other people? And how did that, did that, um, it's, it's pretty much that simple. Yeah. Yeah. And did that, did that go for your players as well? Like being, being selfless towards them, putting you the team first. Try to, try to keep, you know, being positive and thinking about other people. Right. And I'm sure it's easier, you know, after a win, you know, to be in a positive mood, but how would you coach them uh, the few days after a loss or, you know, a few losses? Or how did you get your teams back um, into a a winning mentality or a a team uh, mentality? Well, I think for me, um, personally, because I hate losing, you know, there's that age-old question for people that are competitive, you know, do you love winning or do you hate losing? And I'm miserable. I'm a miserable loser. (laughs) So don't come around me, you know, but I think the thing that got me out of it was, all right, here were the the issues that we had, you know, here are the reasons we lost, here are things we need to fix, here's whatever. And once I had a plan for how we could address those, then I could, I could move on. But I think, you know, I saw my role with the players was also to help them, excuse me, them move on and them find the positive in what they did and how do we build on that. What would you say was the uh, biggest gratification as a as a head coach? Um, I think the biggest thing that's fun about having been a head coach is uh, – how the players have gone, you know, the players that have graduated and what, how they've gone on to live their lives. I mean, that's the, that's the greatest thing. You know, this, this, this woman has three kids. This woman um, is a teacher. This woman is a lawyer. This woman is a coach. This woman, 
um, is a wonderful, you know, is a wonderful person. <laughs> Not just what profession they are, but you know, and how they how they are now impacting their children and the people around them. That's the most gratifying thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like your, you know, it's just like your parents. They're happy that you're a good person and that you're doing good things. And I love hearing that from from coaches that they love that they still keep up with their players. They see what they're doing, and it's it's a bigger gratification than any win, any any tournament win, things like that. It's 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 the personal side of that, right? And uh, I will add on: none of your players are in the Emory and Henry Sports Hall of Fame. You've, wasn't, you've, I, wasn't I lucky? <laughs> yeah, well, it takes a good coach as well, and and you know. You got to you got to coach them up when they get to the collegiate level, and so I want to ask you now um, if you could give beginner coaches any tips on how to achieve success, how to get the most out of their players. What would it be? <laughs> don't make don't make all the mistakes I made. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think I think the thing is you know find what's important to you. You know, just like I said, it seemed like to me the important things were. That, that you work hard and that you do things for other people. Find what's important to you and and make sure your players, you know, then emphasize that with your players. What's important to you? What are your values? Right, right. Coach, we have around uh, two minutes left here on the show, and I I want to get one more question in if I can. And um, I know you, you're, you're still close to the game to this day, but um, if you could pick one thing that you – you really, really miss about uh, being a coach. What would that be? Gosh, I I don't know that. It, I I feel like I don't miss that because I got to do it. You know, I I had my opportunity. I had I got to do what I wanted to do. So miss, I guess, is the wrong wrong word. I'm I'm happy for Jacqueline Dickens, who's now the head coach. I was happy for Ann Crutchfield for the experiences they got to have, but I got to have my turn, you know, and so I'm happy about that. And no regrets, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, I don't want to focus on that. (laughs) (laughs) Coach, I really want to thank you for, for being on the, uh, the show today. Um, I know, I know it's been a, a few years, but I'm, I'm sure it's, it's got to be great to be in the Hall of Fame here. So, congratulations on that, even though it was years back. Um, I, well, it's been a, it's been a great conversation. Thank you for letting me talk about it. I, I, it was a wonderful experience in many ways. It wouldn't have happened without the players, without the support of their families, and certainly without the support of the fans that came and the Emory and Henry community and my colleagues in the athletic department. I mean, I can't thank all those people enough for making the wonderful times the wonderful times. Absolutely. Coach, thank you so much um, for being thank on Face to Face. Absolutely. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this uh, concludes the now 10th edition of Face to Face Sports. I will be back here in the studio, hopefully with another interview, same day, same time, next Monday at 630. So thank you again. Stay safe out there. Watch some sports. Bye now.